because I do want to have a representation on the board. It isn't just a bunch of, you know, hairy arsed Irish I just, take, I just want to take up one thing there. I've never have been called a hairy arsed Irish bloke. But, but, you know, <laughs> Welcome to a bit of chat. My name is Moz D and I'm welcoming you to a new uh, podcast. So are, are you telling me that when I when I go to dinner with Paul, it's always half price? Is that what Brought to you by the British and Irish Trade Alliance. Now listen, don't be put off by that. This isn't another boring business podcast. This is about people, Irish people, British people who happen to do business. But actually, it's more than that. It's about their stories. And we all love a good story, don't we? A yarn, a tale. It brings people together. And in this first episode, I'm joined by Paul Whitnell, who happens to be the president and founder of Bitter, and Diane Birch, marketing guru and executive director of Bitter. Now, what we'd love you to do is subscribe to this podcast on whatever your preferred platform is, and do share the love. Share this link, share the podcast with your friends, and follow Bitter on Twitter, at Bitter Intel, and, and on LinkedIn, of course. Uh, as I said, this is all about stories, and we start with Paul, who begins by telling us about the last business he worked with in Ireland and how badly that was affected by the last economic downturn in Ireland. Well, they closed. They closed the door, and, and that was it. It was gone. And, and the industry, the history, like many industries in Ireland and like many family businesses, it just came crashing down, and there was no recovery. There was no... It was just... It's now a part of the past, which was the saddest, saddest thing to experience at that time. So as a result, I had no option just to take flight and, and then start building my life uh, abroad. And London was the place I picked. Kent, I decided to go to. Don't ask me why. Um, it, we just kind of put a pin on the map, map and uh, I arrived into Gatwick and the stories start from there. And, and did you have any idea what you were going to do when you, you landed in Kent, which isn't a bad place to, to be, by the way, the Garden of England. But did you have any idea where you were going to start, what you were going to do? Well, I was always going to stay somewhere in terms of my own comfort zone, in terms of what I knew. And that was, uh, I knew bathrooms inside out. I was manufacturing them for years and years. And I knew the channels and pathways of how to sell these products because, you know, when Qualstrom Shires was at its best, we were coming into the UK and we had built up some relationships in the UK. So it wasn't as if I didn't know anybody. I didn't know an awful lot about the UK uh, or uh, where to go, but I knew certainly where the product had landed before. So there was some pathway that I could follow. So I decided to try and you know, follow that pathway. And I landed into a company in Maidstone and Kent that were doing a similar type of product um, albeit to a different market and a different pathway into the market because it was straight in to the developers. But the ironic thing was, when I came off the plane, I was being picked up in a car. And my mother is great faith. She's fantastic in that regard. And she always knew that, you know what, you'll do fine, you'll do fine. So I got into this car and I was being picked up from Gatwick Airport to bring me down to Maidstone to go to this company called Map Contracts. And I told my story to a taxi driver. And the taxi driver said to me that, I said, I don't know a soul. I don't know a sinner. So I'd love to kind of, you know, find out, is Maidstone, what, what is it like? Is there a nurse pub there? You know, that's a good start. And funny enough, the guy turned around and said to me, I'm going to give you a number of a man who you can ring tonight and he'll go for a pint with you. And he's from Leitrim. 
And I thought, ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. What a start. <laughs> so I did that and I rang this guy and he said he'd meet me at five o'clock in the Swan in uh, East Morland. And I met this man. I had a couple of points with him. His name was Pat Gallagher. And we shared some stories. I was heading away and I didn't realize who I was with, but I happened to be with probably one of the most prominent, successful Irishmen in Kent who had built up a fantastic business, the Gallagher Group and a quarry. And, you know, it was like my mother's prayers were answered <laughs> meeting this fella, you know, and I did have my first gorgeous hangover. That's it. Um, after, after meeting Pat that night. In Kent. And I think uh, that's the thing. And a lesson to us all, always be nice to taxi drivers. That's that's the <laughs> lesson we, we, we get from that tale and that story. And, and Paul, so th- what, what differences did you find, what particular differences or challenges did you find in the UK that were uh, different from, from where you were in Kilkenny? The very approach in terms of people, the cultural difference in business was ferociously different. So there was simple things that we do take for granted. You know, one thing is timekeeping. You know, in Ireland, uh, five o'clock was any time between five o'clock and five o'clock the next day. Whereas in the UK, a five o'clock meeting is five o'clock. If you're four minutes past five, the meeting is cancelled. And it was cultural differences like that, that were very structured. And I had come from a non-structured world. So there was subtle differences that I had to really, really, really grasp very quickly. And, you know, that's where the mistakes were made when you didn't grasp them enough. So there's those differences. You've, you've moved um, yourself or your family over to Kent. As you say, um, the same language spoken sometimes very differently and culturally things are, are different. Where what was the genesis then of, of, of bitter itself? So you saw these differences. How did that manifest itself then? Well, well, firstly, I didn't quite move straight away. I commuted. So my first 18 months was something that you would be very familiar with in terms of the red eye going in at six o'clock in the morning and coming out on Friday. Um, so that was uh, the first 18 months, which is a very difficult thing to do when you're kind of managing your life over here for five days, coming back at the weekend, and then finding out the trials and tribulations of what happened when you were away, and the adjustment of you know the kids and, 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 and my wife, and, and, and then trying to fill in friends as well. So the weekends were like, they were like a blimp. They just you know, vanished on me before I, you know, I got off the plane and I was getting back on another one. That was really, really difficult. So it was until I, I, I kind of committed to what we were doing and our plan, which was started out as, as a five-year plan and it's turned into 50 years. So, um, and, and, and it was that commitment uh, until I moved the family across. That's when life became a bitter. But going back to the cultural differences, there was many things, you know, I say, and one of the things I always say, and I say this tongue, which I get killed for it. But I say, you know, over here in the UK, deal is a deal when you shake the hand. In Ireland, you shake the hand and the dance begins. <laughs> oh, that is a good saying. And you, you, you still, you say that though with affection. You're not being too disparaging. Total yeah. affection. That's why I say don't get me wrong, you know. 
And it's, you know, I think the beauty of this, and, and lots of people have experienced this, when you blend both cultures together, when you blend all these things together, that is the beautiful thing about traveling. You know, I would now recommend to my kids and to any kid I know that as part of your journey in life, it's always very good to get away from your homeland and see what it's like on the other side and travel and get that experience and cultural difference in a different place because it'll stay with you for life and it's something that you cannot buy. So it's interesting because actually you were treading a well-trodden path. Obviously, many, many Irish people had uh, made that journey, um, including my parents. And indeed, we've made the journey back because I'm sitting here in in, uh, Kerry and you're sitting there where you are in Kent, is that is that that intermingling of cultures, right? Isn't isn't new, is it? It's 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 been with us for hundreds of years. No, and the, the historic relationship between Ireland and England has always been fantastic and fruitful in that regard. And it's when you come away and you understand that a little bit better that you realise that you know the, the relationship is very very strong. We have things that or thrown at us like Brexit and you had times of the troubles and all that kind of stuff. But we've always overcome these things mm-hmm. and we will overcome them into the future as well. Yeah. You know, there's a fantastic relationship uh, between these two countries and, and that will always be. So looking at, uh, coming back to bitter again, is, is you've gone through this journey, is when do you sit down? Is it an epiphany you have in the bath or something? Is I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to create an organization that actually helps people like me who are trying to make that transition maybe from Ireland to Britain and vice versa maybe as well. I think the passion of realization uh, when I realized that this was my future, um, I'm very proud of my land. I'm very proud of being Irish. And if I was able to become a foot soldier um, and communicate to people about you know, fantastic resources and people and ability that is in Ireland and bring that into somewhere where it's exported and, and, and put into action like it was in the UK. Well, that was my new beginning. That was where uh, I was coming from in terms of the concept and uh, of BITA. And I suppose when we went into our first meeting, I put a group of people together who would follow the concept of what I was talking about. And we were in our first meeting. I decided, let's get this right from the start. So let's, let's, let's um, you know, make sure we structure this. Now, I'm the worst in the world, Diane will tell you. you know, when it comes to structure, do not ask me. That's why Diane is there. So when it came to this meeting, we decided to write a constitution. Mm-hmm. And the first amendment in the constitution, I said, was that the president cannot be removed. And Clive Barker, I'll always remember, he was from the the London City Chamber of Commerce. He put up his hand and he says, how does that work? And I said, Clive, just say aye. (laughs) And he shook his hand and he went, this is amazing. He said, said, what what is bitter? And I said, bitter is people who know people that help people. But I'll always remember Clive saying, write that down. (laughs) And that he did. And that became the motto of what we were. And it was a great start in terms of understanding your mission, your values, and your goals. And that's what we've stuck by since. So once we decided, what is bitter? How is it relevant? And what are we going to do with it? It then became 
the why and how we're going to do it became the harder part, which I had to bring in experts like Diane to be able to create. Now, you, you mentioned Diane, and Diane's sitting there patiently, and I can see her nodding her head and shaking her head sometimes um, at, uh, at what's being said. So now the, here was the genesis of this, this fellow called Paul um, who came from Ireland. He, how did he find you? I was actually introduced to Paul by a client of mine, and um, I was actually invited to an event, with some, and which I went along to, and um, met the board that was then and uh, just had a great time and met some amazing people. And at the end of the event, Paul and I think it was Jerry came over to me and said, um, would you be on our board? <laughs> Which I was well. And they said, look, we've, you know, we've, we've heard about you and we've had a chat with you and we'd like you to come along to a board meeting and uh, and see what you think. So I said, OK, I'd, I would. So I went along to a board meeting and there were so many people around this table. I can't remember now. There must have been about 20 people. And the first thing that went through my head was how the hell are they going to ever make a decision? <laughs> <laughs> um and then I, I I went through the board meeting and I was on my way out and Paul grabbed me and said what do you think and I said I think I've been invited along because I'm English and I'm a woman <laughs> oh so as a token gesture <laughs> and he said no 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 that's not the case that's not the case and I said oh, I don't know I don't think I don't don't know I, I'm not sure um, I'm not sure that you, you know. I don't. I don't know if you know what it. You know what you're doing. I'm, I, it's all a bit. All a bit. Uh, it's all a bit too fluid for me. So he said, a bit. Or friendly. It's all very, it's all very friendly. friendly. Yeah. So um, so he said, well, you know, come and um, let me let me take you for dinner and we'll talk about it some more. So um, so I said okay. So he took me to a, a salubrious, um, a salubrious restaurant in Dartford. <laughs> <laughs> is there one no <laughs> and um and it was and and then he he spoke like he just spoke and um and I just I don't know there was just something about Paul he's so passionate and he's so determined to make a difference and it was a time in my life that um I don't know, lots of things that, you know, I was a certain age and lots of things had happened and I, I actually thought I'd like to make a difference. You know, what am I doing here? What, what am I all about? Mm. Um, I'm actually a um, marketing strategist. I coach companies to help them to grow and to make money. And so, you know, there was something in me that wanted to help people anyway. So that, that's always been part of my makeup. And he everything that he said seemed to sort of, um, sing to you know my tune, if you like. Right. So he's he's the heart, as it were. We, if I could put it this way, uh, if I could be romantic for a moment, he's he's the, he's the heart, and you are the head, so to speak. What did so that passion? And I'm sort of hearing from Paul, you know, people knowing other people and helping other people out. What did you see then? What did you think it could become? 
Well, that was actually one of the, the questions that I asked Paul because I said, you know, this isn't, you know, are, are you playing at this or is this something that is real and can grow? Because I haven't got the time to mess about, basically. You know, I haven't got the time to, to um, you know, to put my everything. And when I do something, I put everything into it. Um, I've not got the time to put everything into something that's, not really going to go anywhere. So if you're a, a group of Irish blokes who've got together and are going to have a lunch every now and again and, you know, shake each other's hands, I could say something a little bit more rude. But, um, you know, then I'm not interested. So he sort of looked at me a little bit and sort of said, well, what, what do you mean? So I said, well, you know, there's Irish Irish um, cities all over the UK. You know, there's Leeds and Manchester and Liverpool and Birmingham and, you know, there's lots of um, cities that need somebody like you who can help them to be introduced to people that can either supply or provide business. And he sort of did that look that he's doing now and he sort of went, hmm, okay. Um, and I said, so, you know, it could certainly be national and it could even be international if that's the way, if that's where you want to go. But it's not going to be easy. And if you're going to do it, then you've really got to think about it because it's going to be all consuming and you probably won't earn anything for at least five years. That that focuses the mind, doesn't it? Was there... Yeah, a stunned silence in this salubrious restaurant in Dartford. I can picture the scene now. The one thing that, the the one piece that came out of that for me was that I suddenly realised that, you know, being Irish was going to be against me for the first time. And, you know, that confused me. What do you mean by that? Because that's interesting. What do you mean being Irish would go against me? I'm trying to establish that this was the British and Irish trading alliance. It's not the Irish trading alliance in Britain. It's for both. So, right. you know, right. you can become stereotypical very quickly when you've got an Irish accent and you come up with a, a concept like this um, to confine it uh, to an Irish organization in Britain. It's not. It is about both. And that was one of the challenges we had as an organization to make sure that we addressed all areas. So there was a gender balance. There was a balance in terms of the British ballast was as present as the Irishness in the organization. And as we grew as an organization, we always have had this in mind. So, you know, we facilitate in different ways, in different areas for different chapters. And as we've grown as an organization, we realize that everywhere you go, there's a different type of want and need in regards. But the overriding experience of Bitter is the core value of Bitter, which is people who know people that help people. So you can take that anywhere. That's the McDonald's burger. You can take that anywhere. The ambition was the organization then was to create the facility to actually implement this successfully, that if you go to Scotland, if you go to Liverpool, if you go to Manchester, London, Isle of Man, or Cork, it's the same type of experience that Bitter will give you, the same type of synergy that is balanced in both ways, both British and Irish. All right, grand stuff. So, I mean, Diane, how, how does that manifest itself? Because that's, that's a noble aim. But what's the reality of that on the ground? 
Well, so that that was actually one of the um, the, the the things that I dug deeper because um, you know, as Paul said, it was the British and Irish Trading Alliance, and so I said, you know, the first thing, what what does that actually mean? You know, how are you going to actually deliver that if that's what you called yourself? How are you actually going to deliver it? What does it mean? And that's when he, you know, had we had a whole conversation about um, how we could actually facilitate trade, not just between the two countries, but, you know, both ways. It was always definitely both both, both ways. It was about how, um, you know, British companies could trade in Ireland and Ireland companies could trade in England, but also there was a culture piece there from the point of view of, like Paul said, um, helping people to adjust when they came to this country. Um, and vice versa, because, you know, there was a different culture in Ireland as well. So it was very much both ways. But when we started to think about whether it had legs and how we could grow it further, um, then that's when we started to think about the matchmaking that we could do. And this was really important to both of us. So this was, you know, there's a lot of networking organisations out there Um but, but nobody takes the time to really get to know the business and say, what is it that you want? How can we help? What is it that you need to do? And because of my background, initially I had a lot of conversations with, you know, our members and almost, you know, coached them, you know, for, for two or three hours, you know, about their businesses and marketing and how they could get their messages out there and make business. And it started to work. Um, I did ask him at the dinner whether I was right in the um, I am British and a woman. And he was honest and said, yeah, to be honest, it is because I do want to have a representation on the board. It isn't just a bunch of, you know, hairy arsed Irish blokes around a table. I want a good, you know, I want a mix. Um, but the thing, weirdly, the thing that really made my mind up to uh, to actually sort of put, throw my hat into the ring was that in this lovely restaurant, um, we actually both ordered scallops and they were probably the worst scallops <laughs> that I've ever eaten. Actually, neither of us ate them. They were like bullets. They were awful. And Paul just said to me, don't eat it because I was trying to be polite, you know, and he said, don't, don't, just don't eat it. And he didn't say anything. And then I went to the ladies and when I came back, the manager of the restaurant was just saying to him, that's fine, sir. The wine is on the house. You will only pay for half the meal. <laughs> and we walked out and I said, how did you do that? And he said, it's just what I do. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. Right. So are, are you telling me that so when, I, when I go to dinner with Paul, it's always half price? Is that what you're saying to me? <laughs> I just want to take. The- I just want to take up one thing there. I've never have been called a hairy arse Irish bloke by the way. <laughs> you know that's a first. And I've never actually seen you right. Thanks very much. <laughs> a bitter chat podcast is sponsored by Contented Digital Media Group. As the name suggests, we make stuff, content, everything from your own TV commercial to your stylish corporate film, internal communications to great social content that will get you noticed. And if you're not too sure what you should be doing or how to reach your specialist audience, we can help there too by finding your customers and creating a strategy to get to them, recommending what content you need, making it, delivering it, and managing it. 
our own in-house studio, our experts in filming, editing, animation, GFX, design, social content, repurposing existing assets, and yes, we even make podcasts. Search for Contented Digital Media Group online now and see how we can help. Talk to you. <laughs> so, so Bitter begins, and you're building up the membership. You've got a board. You've got the you've got the heart. You've got the brains, um, and away you go. Um, I think what's what's really interesting is that we're a sort of, um, uh, and we haven't got as long to talk as you did, you guys, at this dinner. By the sounds of it, it went on for hours. By the sounds of it, and, <laughs> indeed, and, and I'm guessing it was more than one bottle of wine. By the way, um, but but that said. Bitter is now been running for how long, Paul? It's um, how long? T- 2012. So we're only talking today about right. our celebration that we will, in fact, be going back to where we founded ourselves. And that was we launched in the British Embassy in London uh, under the uh, direction of Dan Mulhall at the time, the ambassador. Um, but we were looking forward to, in November uh, 22, uh, going back and celebrating our 10th anniversary in the very same place. Right. And this is interesting. Because uh, my introduction to you came through one of your members, uh, Mr. O'Grady, and came as a result, really, of this really bizarre situation we find ourselves in um, as a result of the COVID-19 crisis. That's why, that's why we've met and we're talking. And I remember having a chat prior to this podcast, Paul, about, and, and Diane indeed, let's start with you, Paul, is how relevant bitter could be um, or might not be in this really strange, weird, dystopian time that we're all in. Because it is about people. It is about meeting people. It is about events. It is a very, it's, you know, bitter is a very tactile thing, isn't it? To me, if it was, if you could personify um, bitter, it'd be that, it'd be that fellow that would get up from the table and give you a big hug. Or woman, indeed, and you feel warm and nice. You take away that that sort of visceral feeling. I mean, were you worried, Paul, that that COVID nineteen would see the demise of an alliance and uh, an organisation of friends like this? No, I, I, in my heart, I was never worried because you know what what we have as people is we've got a great resilience about us, and if you look at tragic times that have hit both countries. You know, there, there, there's always been uh, an overwhelming uh, energy in both countries to overcome these things. So you go back to the war times, you go back to uh, the troubles, you go back to the famine. And, and you know, and, and all of these things, there's an honesty in our history that we always have to answer the questions at the end of the day. But one thing is that fantastic resilience and that tenacious fight that we have in ourselves to be able to overcome and, you know, the enjoyment of, of, of doing that. And I knew that that's so prevalent. So the relevance of us as an organization really stood out for me. But the honesty and integrity of it was going back to the people that had shared the support in the first instance and asked them the gap question. That's what I wanted to hear. So I had no problem and no issue myself, but it's not about me. It is not about me. It is about the organization and the community that's around us. So we set about asking that question, that mm. very question, is there a relevance to Bitter? And we've got this overwhelming support to say absolutely no more than ever. And 
what we do now is we, we put this into practice and figure out how we can actually make this relevance important and how we can inject this fusion of positivity and connectivity and solidarity and community into the membership and into the broader community and, and show what Bitter is really all about. Now, of course, uh, we're talking about COVID-19 affecting business, affecting Bitter, but it affected you quite personally, didn't it, Paul? I mean, you you contracted the disease. Yes, early on. And, and it was quite scary from a point of view of that journey was the weirdest thing and the most scariest thing that's happened to my life to date. So much so that after 14 days, I penned a, a letter to my wife and my son to say goodbye. And that's the, the place that I was in, which is, you know, the thought of that um, is, is, is just so, so frightening. When you come around and go back to resilience again, you know, thankfully, I, I recovered from, from the COVID. And straight away when I did, I felt that, you know, me educating someone of my experience was probably the most practical way I could help straight away. And, and I began to do that by communicating to people. I put a piece up that people could listen to in terms of, I felt that, you know, there wasn't enough people taking notice at the early part of it of the message that was go home and stay home. There was lots of people still out there and I couldn't understand this because I could see outside my window as this was happening and I just, it, it just the mind boggles. So for me, after recovering, I wanted to be able to help others because when I was at my lowest, there was a beautiful nurse contacted me through a pure stranger, through um, Facebook, and she was from Ealing, and she knew of the British and Irish Trading Alliance, and she texted me. And every morning I used to get this text, and it was just a text of strength and hope. And it made me, you know, uh, recover in a, in a lot, you know, faster motion than, than, than I would have anticipated because I was very, very, very ill. So here I am on the other side now, and you do get a kind of overwhelming feeling that you want to put something back in but you want to do it relevant to the crisis at the time. So we got involved in, you know, with Power Day, a company, and, and Mick Crossan and London Irish in feeding 800 nurses and doctors in London every day. My God, what a feeling that was, you know? Now, we played a little part in that, but it's all those little parts and all those moving parts make movement a lot easier. Because you, you recovered at home, didn't you? You were ill at home, I understand. Yeah, I refused to go into hospital myself because I was absolutely scared that I would never come out of it again. So we were luckily, my wife is working in, in, in Kin's Hospital, so she was able to receive a lot of um, you know, advice and support from them, uh, which I suppose helped me at the end of the day. And it can do not just change your view of life, but as you say, change your view of what you do and what you do is bitter. So its purpose and its focus sort of changes slightly as a result of that. When you think you might not live, let's be frank and talk as humans, when you think that, it, it would change your perspective on most things, wouldn't it? Totally. It gives, you know, the giving part of giving, it really pronounces that. And I mean, that's what, mm. like, one of the things, a beautiful thing that happened during this whole process was I walked outside my door for the first time in eight years in Kent and my neighbours said hello to me. You know, I used to walk down the street when I arrived over here first. And in Ireland, as you well know, you know, when a car passes, you salute the car. They thought I was a madman. 
that bonkers <laughs> fella saluting every car, like, you know, and that was like, mm. but that was prevalent again very quickly during this pandemic. And it was a beautiful thing to see community coming together like that again. Small little things of just saying hello, good morning, and having a little stop, and stopping and having a bit of time and talking to each other. And when I saw this coming back, I said, oh, let's, you know, we've got to embrace this. We've got to keep this now. We can't just forget about it. And things like, you know, the clap going out at, you know, um, on, on a Thursday night, like, you know, and uh, I used to get a great, you know, piece of humour, turn around and go for the clap. You know? oh, <laughs> just imagine seeing that in West Cork. <laughs> but anyway, um, it, it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing that we need to keep. Yeah. So, Diane, looking at uh, the situation that uh, business is in, humanity's in at the moment, what are the biggest challenges that your members are facing currently? Money, you know, that's that's the biggest thing. Uh, the same, you know, we are, we, we've got a lot of volunteers. I mean, you know, I want to say that, you know, you have the opportunity to thank all of our chapters um, around the country because they're all volunteers. You know, they, they put in their time um, voluntarily, the same as Paul and I did uh, up until a very short time ago. And both of us have still got other jobs. In, you know, we don't take all of our money out, out of the company because we want it to grow. But it is, a, you know, money is a big, big worry. Um, so, you know, the, the government um, in in Britain, you know, has stepped up to a certain degree. But it's, a, you know, our job to educate our members in how they can access those funds. But um, there are also other issues as well. Um, there's issues around um, how do they structure staggered working for instance you know a lot of our members are in construction so you know they're, they're looking at um how they're actually going to to do that and and keep them safe so um you know we're, we're being contacted by people we've we've, we've got uh, uh, something that paul's working quite closely on which is a health passport that's being trialled at the moment to help the uh, organisations uh, in construction or, or, or all over to, to get back to work. Um, but also, the you know, the, the, we've had taken the opportunity to speak to a lot of our key members and they're saying things like, you know, they're worried about their supply chain. The bigger companies are worried that, you know, their supply chain isn't going to be able to cope. They're not going to come through this. Um, and obviously, if they don't have a supply chain, that's a big issue for them. So they're asking us how we can help. So we've actually um, come up with a way that, that we can extend membership to those people that will include things like training and leadership coaching and um, mental health awareness and, and things like that. So. Um, Mentorship as well. There's a, there's a feeling that there's a critical age group between 16 and 24 that are going to be really affected by COVID from a point of view of social interaction and access to education, um, being able to get jobs, you know, lack of money, finances, all of those things. So we're now also um, going to introduce a mentorship program so that we can actually offer not just young people, but um, others as well, but the opportunity to speak to people in industry and uh, and find out, you know, how they can best um, develop themselves, that sort of thing. All sorts of that. I mean, I did, yeah, just simply put then, because I can see as Paul did, right, and the UK's got its own problems, the whole of Europe's got its own problems, but here in Ireland I know of businesses who are really going through it, really going through it, and there's yeah. chat from a few 
do you know what? I, I know it's a model that works. I know this business that I have works. I might throw my hat in across the UK because I, I know I've got a model that works. So somebody wants to come across, they want to work in the UK, they want to build a business, they get in touch with, but what happens? Take me through the process. How, do, how, how does somebody get in contact with you, join, and, and what, what, what are the first things? What's the journey? What's a bitter journey, Diane? Okay, so um, either somebody will hear about us from somebody else, or they'll see, you know, see something that we put on social media. Or they'll be or listening to this. They'll, or they'll be listening to this. They'll get in contact with us, and um, either Paul or myself or our operations manager will contact them personally. Um, and we will literally do this. We will just talk to them about their business, what it is that they want to achieve, who do they need to meet, what suppliers they want to, you know, they've got opportunities for. Um, but mainly, um, what what is the business they're in and, and what do they want, to, who do they want to meet? We then talk about ways that they can actually get their message across. Um, we also talk to them about um, how they're going to actually move across and we can put them in contact with people that can support them in that move. Um, so we would then, um, as I say, we would just generally talk to them and then we start to do things like we've got a magazine, so we might say to them, do an article in our magazine so that they can um show people, showcase what they can do, we'll um, put their messages out on social media, we'll make contact, we'll make personal introductions to them, for them, um, depending on, you know, what it is that they've got to offer. Um, we'll invite them when we have events, uh, um, physical events, we'd invite them along to events. Uh, now we're inviting them along to um you know, webinars and workshops that we're doing online, the virtual, virtual events. Virtual events, yeah. But a lot of it is still personal contact. I mean, Paul and I are probably just the two of us. We've contacted a lot of our existing members. As I say, all of our key key stakeholders, our sponsors. I personally have probably spoken to about 20 potential new members um, just to talk to them about what we can do and how we can help them. Um you know, so it's it's still very much a, a physical thing. Mm, yeah. And across the coming weeks, what we're going to be doing here on this podcast is talking to some of your members, talking to them not only about their membership of Bitter, but their personal journeys with business, what they've got wrong, which is important, what they've got right. Um, I'm sure a few a, a few stories of apocryphal tales will be told in the midst as well. And, and um, so highly entertaining, I, I've no doubt at all. It, it's Paul, it's, it's easy to get um, a little bit bleak and a little bit down about things in this uh, in current environment. Have you got uh, a little message of optimism for us to end on uh, with, a, with a bit of twist to it? I've, I've got a huge huge message of optimism in terms of if you just look at the network and we've talked about, you mentioned Dermot O'Grady, just let's take that one man, right? So, you know, you meet someone like Dermot O'Grady and he understands the pathway of your company over a pint. This is the kind of person he is. But what I'm trying to picture here for you is this is an example, a prime example of what a bitter member is, but there's 23,000 of these around the country. But Dermot O'Grady is the kind of man who will 
embrace what you're saying. He will introduce you to all his contacts without anything. You know, I mean, there's no, nothing barred. His, his book is your book. And this is the kind of person you will meet. He will give you and share all his wisdom. He will share a tale. I mean, if he does, you're going to be there for the night. He will dance. And if you see that, you will never forget it. But this is the kind of person that you're going to meet in BITA. There is lots of dermatogradients. And it's a great example of what the organization is fulsome of. So, you know, if you're an Irish person and you're looking at a very stretched market in a bleak time and you want to dip your toe in the water and you know the cost of which is, 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 can be astronomical, you know, you look for a dermatogrady, you find a dermatogrady and the cost of which it, it's a cost of a pint, you know. So there's a way to do this. His network becomes your network. And BITA, you know, eight years ago, it wasn't established. The last recession, it wasn't very well established. We're eight years down the road where we have some wonderful chapters from Scotland to the Isle of Man, to the UK, to America and, and Australia. It's just unbelievable, the network that's sitting there. Your network, potentially. One thing I would say, though, is we are not a member gatherer. We don't want you know, an influx of everybody to join BITA because joining BITA is about participating in the organization, going for that pint with Dermot O'Grady, watching him dance, listening to him sing. <laughs> and it's that experience. We want you to participate in the organization. So the more you put into the organization, the more you will actually get out of the organization. So if that doesn't sound optimistic, well, then I may, I may retire now, you know? So I look forward to people understanding the concept of what giving is, understanding the ethos of what BITA is, and then understanding and enjoying the journey as they make their pathway. And their success becomes our testimony. Brilliant. Uh, um, Diane, have you got, uh, are you going to dance and sing a song just to, just to see us out now? Apparently, apparently, that's what happens. Are you going to? It has been known. <laughs> it has been known. It has been known. And, you know, I, I echo um, what Paul says. And we've got, you know, we have got some fantastic members all over the country, at the, you know, fantastic chapter boards across the country. And the main thing is that we are all of the same, the cut of the same cloth, I think you might say, that we want to help each other. You know, the sense of community within Bitter is our point of difference. And as Paul said, it's not about just turning up or, or even not turning up. Some people just pay their money and think that they're going to get everything. And that's not what happens. You have to be involved. You have to participate and you have to share. Um, and that is our philosophy. You know, we communicate. We, we, if we say we're going to do something, then we'll give it our all and we'll make that happen if that, you know, if we can. And, you know, we, integrity is so, so important to us. So if we, and we have been known to have members that have said that they will do things, they've promised the earth or they've not been, you know, been a bit less than uh, open or transparent. And we've actually said to them, I'm sorry, but you're not for us. You know, we're not a good fit. And they're asked to leave. But 
we've got a community of over 2,000 now across the country. And, you know, the that sounds a bit that the love that we feel back from that community sometimes is overwhelming. Well, listen, there's been no scallops, there's been no wine, <laughs> but I'm I'm tearing up anyway. <laughs> Diane and Paul, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Miles. Thank it's you. been a pleasure Thank also. Thank you very much. You're here. You got to the end. Well done and thank you. And if you'd like to find out more about Bitter uh, membership or you might be just curious, go to bitter.ie. And if you'd like to become a sponsor partner of this podcast, use the same website and contact us for a chat. Take care and I'll talk to you again next week. Listener.